Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Good afternoon, Vox Church, Vox Branford. It's January 1st, 2023. That's amazing. I know. I thought we'd be like the Jetsons by now, you know, zooming around in little aircraft or whatever they were called. Um, just welcome. So glad to be here. What an honor. Ryan introduced me already. I work for the central office. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be here on January 1st, a really important day. It's the first day of a new year. And I've been praying for weeks, really asking the God to give God to the God. Ask God to give me his word for your hearts, for my heart today. And I believe he has. So just join with me with an expectant spirit that the God of heaven has a word for you today. He has, he has something to say to you. Um, we're going to camp out for a little bit in Psalm 1. I don't know how you feel about the Psalms. I love the Psalms. They're such poetry. That it, it feels like they speak straight to our human nature and right to the, to the human condition. And, and the more I read them, the more I just spend time in them. I find that they really teach me how to navigate the issues, the needs of, of the human heart. So... Um, Let's just read the psalm together. Psalm 1, you can follow along on the screen. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's just pray one more time quick. Let's just, again, like set our hearts towards God. Lord, we just uh, recognize your presence in this room. We recognize your sovereignty, yet your compassion towards us. So, Father, I pray that I just surrender my heart, my will, my words, and pray that by your spirit you would do that remarkable work of speaking to every single heart, specifically in the room. And I trust you for this, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in the 1960s, it was the color TV and the transistor radio. It was TV Guide. Remember the TV Guide? Couldn't figure out what to, yeah, I know, oh my God, couldn't figure out what to watch with a TV guide. It was the Beatles, it was the sounds of Motown, it was Breakfast at Tiffany's and Psycho. <laughs> Those are movies we were watching. In the 70s, it was Walter Cronkite giving us the news. It was, there was disco, come on, who doesn't love a good disco playlist? Come on. There were leisure suits. My father had a powder blue leisure suit, and he thought he was all that. And he looked pretty great in it, honestly, back in the, in the 70s. It was the Godfather, right? The Godfather. Star Wars. And are you there, Mar- God? It's me, Margaret. Something we were reading. In the decade of the 70s, it's interesting to note that the first personal computer came out. In the 80s was MTV, Pac-Man, CNN, the Internet also known as the interweb. 
it still confuses me, but it came out in the 80s. Email start, became a thing, but it was more like governments and business. Cabbage Patch Dolls were on fire. A store would have like 50 and there'd be 4,000 people lined up for them. Now they're a dime a dozen. Um, we watched The Breakfast Club, those cool kids in detention. In the 90s, it was Fox News, MSNBC, email extended to the general public so folks like you and me got email addresses. Toy Story, Buzz and his friends warmed our hearts. The Matrix that I still don't understand. <laughs> Never gonna. Nirvana, Madonna, Snoop Dogg. Something to note in the 90s was this rapid ascent of the 24-hour soundbite news culture. Because it hasn't gone away, it's only gotten worse. But it really started, it really took off in the 90s. Um, the 2000s, we are two decades into the 2000s. Can you believe it? So I'm going to just give a few highlights from the 2000s. MySpace, Facebook, the Instagram, as I like to call it, came on the scene. The iPod, the iPod changed the way we listen to music forever. Forever and ever. Reality TV, Survivor, American Idol, I can't mention most of the titles because they're crazy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, blogging became a thing. Hipsters, remember hipsters? Is that still a thing, Become, being a hipster? TMZ, Nintendo, Wii, we played tennis in our living room, remember? Uggs, nothing like a good pair of Uggs. The Kardashians, which continues to baffle me because what have they done? And they're so popular <laughs> and so rich. I'm not bitter. Um, the media and news outlets, we need to notice this, in the 2000s became mo more polarized than ever. Uh, 2007 was the arrival of the first Apple iPhone. And I don't think I can list all that the smartphone in our hand has done for us. The access, the things we, 24-7, the things we can access. Um, so those are just a few things. So as we move from like 2022 into 2023, I want to look at a couple 2022 specific stats, okay? 6.5 billion people, which is like 83% of the global population, own a smartphone. Right? Almost 4 billion people, 4 billion people use social media. The average daily time for the social media user is one, 147 minutes every day. It's two and a half hours. Yes. Um, right now, TikTok, which I don't even know what that is, except I know it's really popular. TikTok is the fastest growing thing, whatever it is. And there's 750 million worldwide active monthly users. That is wild. And those active users open that app 17 times a day, if they're active users. That app, the TikTok app, has been downloaded 3 billion times. Wow. So why am I telling you all this? Well, before you just write me off as a boomer, right, as an old person who's closed-minded and resistant to change because I'm neither, I might be older, but I'm not closed-minded and I'm not resistant to change. I want to tell you that I'm just drawing our attention to something that's been around far longer than the seven decades I just zoomed through, okay? And it's called cultural influence. It's influence. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you have a really strong, you know, um, temperament, like nothing influences me, we are all influenced all the time. We're all influenced all the time. Things like insignificant, seemingly insignificant things like fashion, 
the car you drive, the food you eat, the restaurants, the music you listen to, to bigger things like our worldview, our faith, our belief, our lifestyle, our, our decisions that really you know, chart our course. All these things are under influence by lots of things basically how we live our life. So today we're going to look at Psalm 1. And what I think is really cool is that this was written thousands of years ago, yet the writer is addressing influence. He's speaking to us today. It's very relevant. First, he warns us about some negative influences, and then he pushes us towards something greater, something better. So let's unpack this together. We're going to look at verse 1 together. You can follow on the screen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the psalmist is telling us, like, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, so don't get your advice, don't get your manner of living, don't determine how you live from the counsel or the advice of the wicked. Now, we, I immediately go, no problem, like mass murderers, terrorists, Drug lords, they're not in my community group. <laughs> they don't tell me what to do. They're not on my Christmas card list. Darn it, they're not. I'm not influenced by them, but a, a, a better translation, a better way to look at that word wicked is, is ungodly. Ungodly. And ungodly can be described as someone who has little or no time for God. <laughs> His or her manner of living, their choices, God has no influence there. There's a lot of natural reasoning and natural mindset. We're being, you know, in that state of ungodly, of little time for God. You're more prone to reasons or reasoning or emotions than you are prone to, like, the wisdom and the truth of God. So we need to examine the voices in our life. The psalmist is telling us, don't walk in the counsel and the advice of the ungodly. We need to examine the voices in our lives because there are many. Everything from our, from our politics to our parenting we're under the influence of something, whether it's a coworker, or family members, friendships, blogs you read, movies we watch, TV shows, media that we get our news and our information from, the podcasts we listen to. Everything is influencing us. So my first question as we go into 2023 that I want us to think about, this is a big day, first day, brand new year ahead of us. I want us to ask ourselves this question, are my most important? most pervasive influences ungodly. Just like to sit on that for a little bit. Are there those who have little or no time for God, but they are helping me chart my course of life in some form or fashion? Second thing he, the psalmist tells us is don't stand in the way of sinners. Now notice like the subtle and progressive nature of influence. We go from walking to now we're standing. We're kind of stopped somewhere. And he says the way of sinners. And I don't know, sinners feels a little harsh, a little judgy, right? You're going to point to somebody and call them a sinner. You know, sin is not a popular concept in our society. If you've ever tried to bring it up with someone who doesn't know God or, you know, God's not part of their life, when you say the word sin, you can, you can feel a little foolish because they kind of look at you like, what, what does that mean? See, our culture, truth is subjective, Right? Truth is often determined by what best interests me. So like if lying works, I'm lying. <laughs> I'm going to tell a lie. If, if leaving is in my best interest, adios amigos. I'm not staying. There's no commitment. It works better for me to leave. If cheating is better, then I'm going to cheat or I'm going to steal. You know, it's sad. 
It's sad, but that, that's a lot of the way that, that folks can uh, chart their life, their journey. But today, I want to look a little bit, just quickly, at the influence of sin versus a list of bad behaviors, okay? As we look at this, this standing in the way of sinners, I want to go deeper and talk about the influence on our heart. See, my experience, my personal experience, <laughs> is that most sinful behavior flows from a heart that is clinging to or finding its satisfaction in God substitutes, Okay. Anytime I get myself in trouble, <laughs> it's because I'm trying to substitute or get something that only God can give me. Simple examples. You know, we're all hardwired for intimacy. And I'm not just talking sex. I'm talking about being seen, being known. We crave that. We need that. We're hardwired for it. But instead of beginning with, with God, our creator, we often substitute that with relationships with people. Now, don't get me wrong, we need people. We're also hardwired for people. But we have to build those relationships with others on our relationship with God. Otherwise, my experience, when I don't build my relationship with others on my relationship with God, I either use them or they use me for some sort of personal satisfaction. It's just how, it's human nature. You know, we're hardwired for security, to feel safe. Feeling safe is really important to me. But when I don't find my safety and my security in God, I'm going to substitute it with jobs or with, with a bank account or a job title or some sort of statusy thing, stuff. I'm going to substitute it. So I want to ask again another question as we go into 2023. This is a good thing to think about. Who are your biggest influencers? Are their hearts like satisfied and fulfilled in their relationship with God or are they constantly chasing substitutes? You know, it's the next thrill, the next toy, the next adventure. It's important. This is important for your lives, friends. Third one, sitting in the seat of scoffers. We've gone from walking to standing, and now we're sitting. Scoffing is a verbal expression of contempt. It's when we belittle someone or something, mocking, ridiculing. You know, it, it seems funny till it's not. Sadly, it's very common in our culture. I grew up in a culture of this. Um, and someone like me who's prone to sarcasm, I have to be careful with scoffing because it's not, it's not funny. And it is a progressive influence where I've gone from a, the way of the sinner with a calloused heart to, a, to scoffing with a hard, unfeeling heart. Influence. It's subtle, but it's progressive. You know, um, the scary thing about scoffing and I promise this is going to get better in a verse or two, is that you can often set your mouth against heaven. We can speak against the people God's created, against God's truth, against things, and, and we can find ourselves setting our mocking or our ridiculing against heaven, and it's not a good place to be. So the third question I want to ask you in this first verse is, your biggest influencers, what is their speech like? The blogs you read, the news sources, the, the uh, podcast, is it belittling and mocking and building contempt towards something? Or is it seasoned with grace and truth and compassion? That's important. It's important as followers of Jesus that we examine this, which brings me to my first point. A blessed life requires examining what influences me. A blessed life requires examining what influences me. By the, by the way, the title of the message is A Blessed Life, which I probably should have said at the beginning. But now you know. So the good news is verse 2. 
the psalmist starts to push us towards a better influence, a greater influence. It's found here. Let me read it for you. You can follow along. But his delight, the blessed person, the blessed man or woman, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord. The Bible, it's not just the Ten Commandments, it's the Holy Scriptures. It's this book, like no other book you'll ever read, ever. Given to us, writers divinely inspired to give us instruction and strength and comfort and wisdom and freedom and a lot of other things. Now, I'm not going to spend any time def you know, defending the relevance or the accuracy of, of Scripture. I, I understand it. I believe in it. I'm going to point you towards Vox. Uh, Institute, which starts in January, which I, I think they announced it, but you can get information at the next steps table. I'll push you towards there to, to learning and studying the Bible. I want to share more, more how God's word has influenced and transformed me. Is that okay? Share just a couple of examples. In 1985, barely a year married to, to a man I'd been with for five years when I found myself facing a divorce I didn't want, didn't ask for, didn't want. It was also the year of my glorious collision with the grace of God. Now, I was raised a Catholic, and I am grateful for that, but I encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ like I never had in 1985. And I, I became part of a community connected that pushed me towards Scripture right from day one. So during this very painful time of betrayal, of loneliness, of hopelessness, I found this passage that I want to share with you on the screen. Isaiah 54 says, for, the make, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. <laughs> the God of the whole earth he's called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says your, the Lord, your Redeemer. I like to think I found it. Maybe the verse found me. <laughs> and these were the days of index cards. Do they still make index cards? I don't know. But when you wrote, I wrote this, when I was in the midst of it, I wrote this verse out, and I'd look at it, look at it, and I'll never forget the day standing and working, and the call from the Lord going, it's done, you're divorced. I went, okay. Okay, Thanks. And I just pulled that index card out and I read it. Let me tell you, divorce, rejection, betrayal of any kind is devastating. And it carries a potential to ruin our lives. I got to tell you today, my process was not instant. And there was lots of tears and lots of questions. But that verse, that verse, that passage rescued me from a path of destruction, literally rescued me from a path of destruction and put me under the influence of God's word. I don't know where I'd be today without that. And that this passage, this thing God spoke to me from words on a page started a love affair with this book. He's, and he spoke, he's spoken to me for decades. Second, second thing I want, I want to share with you is, uh, so Joe and I were married in 1988, wonderful man, better, better half of the whole here. Um, 1991, 1997, 91, and we had Joey. Our son Joey was born in 95, our daughter Megan, and our youngest Katie was born in, in 97. Did I say Megan 95, Katie 97? Those are the years our kids were born, anyway. And I always say this corny thing, when you have kids, it's like letting your heart walk around outside your body, right? Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, it's like the world is a very scary and dangerous place. And when they handed Joey to us, we were like, who's coming with us? 
because we can't take this thing home alone, <laughs> all right? Because we don't know what we're, we can't even take care of ourselves. So we drove home like 12 miles an hour, screaming at the, shaking our fist at the cars that were doing the speed limit going by us, you know? We realized what a scary place, and we also realized like, we are greatly lacking. We don't know what to do. We longed to be like good, safe, strong, nurturing parents, but like, it didn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. So during these years, and, and since we're still parents, we still do this, we turn to scripture. And verses like Isaiah 54, 13 say, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. These became prayers and promises we clung to as we parented three kids, one kid, two kids, then three kids. Other verses became wisdom and instruction and understanding on how to raise children. Also during the years, we like to, we like to what I call sow the word into our kids. We pray, we talk about it, we'd, you know, we'd interact with it, we'd pray it for them, we'd pray it with them. So cheesy Silva family, every morning before the kids got on the bus for the public school, we stood in the kitchen in a circle, the five of us, Ephesians 6, you know where I'm going, some of you old timers, the armor of God we put on. Together, the silver filming, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, every, every morning. Now, it wasn't a magic mantra. And God forbid you think I'm telling you how to raise perfect kids because I have no clue. Still don't. But what I can testify to, what I can stand here and say with full confidence is that there is an inherent establishing power in the word of God. When you invite it into your life, when you open your heart to it, an inherent establishing power, it's, it contains it. The word contains it. I can proclaim again with all confidence that God's word is a powerful and effective agent for change in your life as a follower of Jesus. Amen? It is. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, let me read that to you. Follow along. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And we turn to the word for the purpose of parenting. And God equipped us, not to raise perfect kids, but to raise kids who love Jesus, to get through the hard times, the bumps, the ups and downs of high school and all that. God's word met us. It met us. Last thing, last encounter, 2000. I had the awful privilege with my siblings of caring for our mom in the last days, weeks, months, hours of her life. I have great siblings. We worked as a team. We did shifts. But I was a stay-at-home mom, and we lived with my mom. She lived with us. Um, so I remember one day being home, and Joe's working, kids are out, and it's my shift. And I remember just saying, God, this is hard. Behind that door is like the woman who gave birth to me. And we're, this is last weeks, days. This is hard. And so what did he do? He brought me to a passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, I want to share with you. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. 
For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, <laughs> but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who, is giving us, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. When, when I read this passage, standing in the living room in the middle of the day, God showed me, he spoke to me that my mom was not about to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality was about to be swallowed up by immortality, by eternal life. And the one who was preparing her for it was God himself. Now, a peace descended on me that I can't explain. I can't explain it. And, and it didn't take away the need to grieve or mourn. It didn't take away all the tears. It actually just stood alongside it this confidence, this peace that God was there. He knew. He knew it was happening. So why these examples? Trust me, not to toot my own horn. (laughs) I got a long way to go, but it's to tell you that God's word will meet you in every life circumstance. There's nothing you're dealing with or going through that God's word won't meet you and do in you and for you what needs to be done. That's why the psalmist says we have to delight and meditate in it. He says delight and meditate on it. What does he mean, delight? It means the highest degree of joy. It speaks of a longing. Psalm 119.18 says it so perfectly. Open my eyes, God, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That should be our prayer. That's my prayer. God, open my eyes that I can see this book, the wonders in this book, the things you want to say to me. You know, when we lived in England, we went right after we were married to do some, like, missionary work there. And one month in, we realized that British Telecom was cursed. (laughs) I shouldn't say cursed. It's not funny. British Telecom, the phone company, really was expensive. After one month, our bill was ridiculous. Joe put a chain and a padlock on the phone. So I couldn't call home anymore. That's my whole point. I couldn't come home anymore. It was so expensive. But back in the old days, you used to write on paper and then fold it and put it in an envelope and lick the envelope and put a stamp on it. So we could do, still do snail mail. So I remember going days, getting the post and a letter from my sister or my mother or a niece or nephew. And my heart leapt with joy. I was delighted to, to get news from home. How is everybody? My friends... This is a letter from home for you that can delight your soul in every season if you will open your heart to it. But in order to delight, we have to meditate. We can't delight on things we're not aware of. We can't delight on things that we don't know. So we have to meditate on Scripture. That speaks of depth. It means to fix your mind on God's Word and then speak it to your heart. And then fix your mind on God's Word and speak it to your heart. It means to take the truths that you found, find in here for whatever you're going through in life, whether it's loss or decision-making, whatever. Find those truths and press them down to the base of your heart till it catches fire. That's what it means to meditate on the Word. And it's for all of us. It's for all of us. We can compare meditating to human digestion, okay? I try to keep this not too gross. When we eat and we barely chew, like we gulp down food whole, and we know a few of those, they swallow things almost whole like somebody's going to steal their food from them. When we don't chew properly, it's harder for our stomachs to digest, and we get things like gas and bloating, which I won't talk about, (laughs) just because I don't want to. But when we chew thoroughly, 
When it's easier for our stomach when we take our time and we chew thoroughly and we, it, it's easier for our stomach to process the food than to take those nutrients and send them out to the, the different parts of our body for energy or growth or cell repair. I'm not a scientist, obviously, but it does work like that. That's what Google says. <laughs> so chewing thoroughly makes digestion work. Well, meditating is a great picture of that. When we like thoroughly and intentionally ponder and reflect on scripture, not gulp down chapters at a time, but take our time, read it slowly, read it silently, read it out loud, pray it, journal about it, think about it, consider the implications of the scriptures. Then our spirits, like our stomachs, take that truth, whatever it is you need, that encouragement, that wisdom, that healing, that self-control, that discipline, that correction, whatever it is you need, our spirits can then take that meditated word and send it to the recesses of our heart and our soul. It changes us, my friends. It changes us. Hebrews 4.12, it has to be my favorite verse, I think, today in the Bible. It says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Let me tell you, I need someone and something bigger than myself to discern my thoughts and intentions. And so do you. <laughs> so this is what the word of God is for us. It's living. It's active. Meditating on God, God's word is a process that also requires consistency. That's why the psalmist says day and night. Day and night. Start your day with scripture. End your day with scripture. Now, Bible apps and devotional books are great, but I'm talking pure word. I'm talking, you can do both, but don't do one and not the other. Don't do the Devo and skip the pure word of God's word, the pure word, the pure God of, blah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> ah, start and end your day with the Bible. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. But I think the psalmist is pushing, not just chronological time, I think he's talking about seasons of life. I think the days when times are good, like don't forget God. Don't forget to get in that Bible and meditate and sow it into your spirit. When, when it's the nighttime and times are hard, don't run from God. Meditate. Turn towards him. It's the only place we'll find solutions. My second point. Thank you. Is this. A blessed life has God's word as its primary influence. Remember we talked earlier, there are lots of influences. you got to pick one to be the loudest, the, the primary influence, and this should be it. What I love, though, about this psalm is the psalmist doesn't just give us a list of things. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, do that, do that, do that. See you later. He takes verse 3 and he paints a vivid, beautiful image of what we will become if we actually take verse 1 and 2 seriously, if we read them and apply them. It's amazing. Verse uh, 3, let me read it for you. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. What does that mean for us? It means that this is what we can become as a result of delighting and meditating in Scripture. So let's look at a couple elements of the tree. Now, the first thing is roots. The Scripture says he's, this tree is planted. Now, deep roots indicates stability, right? The true test of roots on a tree, like a real tree, are storms. 
this serum can bend us, can bend the tree, but it won't uproot it if those roots are strong. So God's word not only feeds our souls, it anchors our souls. I'm like, who doesn't need more stability in their life? I know I do. It, it anchors our souls. So storms of life can try to come and toss us and, and crush us, but, but we won't go down. We'll get back up again because we have roots and anchors in the, and an anchor in the word of God. God's word will anchor, this is really great, our emotions and our thoughts as well. Think about it. Like the, we can be the one that drives and tosses us back and forth. It's not always outside. It sometimes is all in, in here. But God's word, when we delight and meditate, can root and anchor our thoughts, our emotions, our choices in truth, not circumstances. And that is good news. That is really good news. So how would your life, how would my life change if in 2023 we planted ourselves more in this book than we ever have? ever have? What would our lives look like by June, by next December? More stability. Second thing he mentions is fruit. It yields its fruit in season. You know, fruits are a display of healthy roots, right? Healthy roots feed and nourish the fruit. So you and me, our union with God, our delighting and meditating in his word, our praying, our, our, our time spent in the word, that's the source of the fruit in our lives. It's not all the outward busy activity. It all flows from a delighting and meditating condition. Posture is a better way to say it. Now, there's lots of references to fruit in the Bible. I just want to highlight one. It's from Galatians 5, and I'm going to say these words really slowly and let the words just like hit you a little bit in a good way. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of us need more of this in our lives? I do. I'm probably the first in line. I need more. Maybe, maybe you need deeper joy. Maybe you need to be able to love more. Maybe you need like a lasting peace, peace not dependent on what's going on. Maybe you need greater self-control as you go into 2023. Delighting and meditating, I'm going to say that phrase a lot, delighting and meditating on the word will begin to influence and transform your temperament. Okay, you're going to be you, but your temperament, those rough edges that God wants to work and make you more like Jesus. Our temperament, how we respond to people in situations. You know, a bigger question I thought about was this, was like, how would the lost world respond to a church saturated in the fruits of the Spirit? Oh, man. Wouldn't that be just great? Next in the tree is, is in a healthy tree, the psalmist talks about leaves. He says, its leaf does not wither. And the idea of withering is to diminish or to fade. And I, I feel like, I believe he's speaking to us about vitality and endurance. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about just your natural grit and determination, because some of us have a lot of it, some of us don't. So it's more than that. You know, healthy leaves are nourished by healthy roots. So again, we're going back to this delighting and meditating, meditating on scripture, reading it, praying it. So when we do that, when we root and ground ourselves in God's word, 
I'm telling you, an inner strength and a resilience will begin to build in you. You won't even know where it came from. You won't even know where it came from. And it comes, well, you'll know where it came from, I just told you, but you know what I mean. You'll, be, you'll shock yourself at how resilient and strong you, that God has done something in you. Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't like just hardening yourself against life's troubles. Like transitions, things happen, and you just grit your teeth, and you're like, I'm going to get through this. I've been through it before. I can do this again. It's not that at all. That's just grit. That's just whatever. It's, it's a work of the Spirit in our hearts. When we delight and meditate, our hearts actually get softer, and they become ground that can handle the Word of God and produce fruit. So we got to put that natural grit, that determination. That's good to have, but, but that's not what we're talking about when it comes to vitality and endurance. Vitality, life, a steadfast heart. Paul describes it great in, in 2, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. He says in 8 and 9, he says, We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. A few verses later, he goes, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This word is eternal. It's never going to fade. It's never going to perish. The word of God is forever and ever. And this is what we delight and meditate on. Our inner self is renewed day by day. I long for that. Last line of this verse says, In all he does, he prospers, which means he's successful. And I need to tell you that verses like this really, really bug me. They really bug me. And I, and I found myself going like, Really, God? Like, I've read it before, but now I'm, I'm going to speak on it. Really, God, so everything I do, I do it, it prospers or successful. So why, when I prayed for her, she wasn't healed? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? It doesn't feel like prospering or blessing, God. And all I do, I'm successful and prosperous. So I prayed and I waited, just asking God to speak. And I, I heard that familiar whisper of grace, man. And God said to me, maybe, or I, I felt he said, maybe your definition of prospering and blessed is different from mine. So I found myself wondering, what has influenced my, my definition of blessing and prospering? What has formed that in me? Is it my experiences? It's what's happened to me. Is it others' opinions or my opinions, my desires? Is it how I see other people live so I think that's blessed or that's successful? Maybe uh, I started to think that maybe I have formed my understanding of prospering and blessing more by scrolling and comparing than by delighting and meditating. So I turned to the word and said, God, show, will you show me? Will you define blessed and prospering for me? And I feel like I've barely, barely scratched the surface. There's hundreds of scriptures that talk about blessed and blessing and prospering. And I only want to hit on two. Psalm 32, one, verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there's no deceit. 
So I thought to myself, if, if that's true, and I believe the word is true, then every day, every hour, no matter what I was going through in the past 37 years of knowing Jesus, I've been living in the condition of blessed. He's forgiven my sin. He doesn't, he doesn't have a list of sin against me. Therefore, I'm blessed according to scripture. Second passage I just want to mention. It's not going to be on the screen because I'm just giving you a tiny bit of it. It's, it's found in Matthew 5. It's the Beatitudes, that, that famous sermon that Jesus says this. And I can't even get through this. without. It's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart and the peacemaker. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake or reviled or folk, folk, spoken against falsely on my account. That's what Jesus defined as blessed. And I was like, I've read that before. But I was like, God, this does not sound like hashtag blessed to me. Right? Not mourning, merciful, doesn't sound like what our culture calls prospering or successful. So I, I'm in the progress of trying to come up with a definition for blessed. So here's my work in progress, written in pencil, completely incomplete definition of blessed. And it says this, a blessed life means my soul finds its satisfaction in Jesus first. That's what scripture is saying. Now listen, I know it, it sounds simplistic, and maybe it is. This isn't like pie in the sky, rose-colored glasses, ignoring the really hard and terrible things that can happen in life. That life can be tough, and you're telling me blessed because you know Jesus? What about this, this, and this? I'm not ignoring that. Neither am I negating the gifts, the blessings, a, a family you love, a roof over your head, food on the table. Those are real blessings. What it means to me and what I think, what I want to share with you is it means that the greatest influence in our lives, the voice, the one that outweighs all other experiences and all other voices is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's found in this book. It's in this book. So today, today the invitation is to redefine blessed it's to examine your, our influences by delighting and meditating in God's word. I'm going to close with these last through, three verses of Psalms if the band wants to make their way up here. The last three verses of, Psalms, of Psalm 1, I want to read out loud. The psalmist writes, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Gosh, these verses are a stark contrast, right, to the first three. We went from like a healthy tree with, the verse three there, a healthy tree with strong roots bearing fruit to chaff. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I can read Google. And chaff is the worthless hull that surrounds the, the, the grain that you were going after to make the bread and all those things. It's worthless. It's a worthless hull. And in the old days, I guess when they uh, were getting rid of the chaff, they would rub their hands together. And just a breeze would blow it away. Just a breeze. It was so worthless and rootless and flimsy that a breeze would blow it away. 
So when I looked at these three verses, I was like, wow, God. And I didn't hear them with a condemning or judgmental tone. I hear a father. I hear a, a tender, compassionate, and holy God. One that did not spare his own son for us, but freely gave him up so that we could be reconciled to God. I hear a holy, compassionate, tender God appealing to me and to you and saying this, you were not created for a life of chaff. You were made for more. You were made to live a blessed life. But we have got to, as followers of Jesus, examine what is influencing our lives. What is the primary influence? It's simple. It's time. How do we spend time? What are we ingesting? So I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray for us. We're going to just worship. We're going to have a, a, an opportunity. I have no doubt, really not based on me or my words, but I know that God is speaking to everyone in this room something, something specific and personal for you. So I'm asking you, as we worship, will you respond to that? I think he's asking us to turn from ungodly influences, to turn towards his word, to make a commitment for 2023 to build our life on the word of God, to let God be our primary influence. I want to pray a verse for us as we, as we worship and we listen for the voice of God and we respond in our hearts. I want to pray Matthew 13, 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Father, for me and for my friends in this room, would you bless us with ears that hear and eyes that see, God? We open our hearts right now for you to speak, God. Give us the grace to respond in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.